Learn about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership, insight, and advice. Welcome to Win Hers United. This is Season 7, Episode 9, titled Prospering Through Pain with Nia Rigel. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, and I believe that business, mindset, personal development, and self-care are the four pillars to entrepreneurial success. This is why When Hers United is your one-stop shop for business, mindset, personal development, and self-care conversations with winning women of color entrepreneurs. If you're a fan of Win Hers United, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Then while you're there, also write us a review. You need to go to the show page for Win Hers United and scroll all the way to the bottom to do this. It shouldn't take you more than five minutes and it would mean the world to me. During this episode, you'll learn more about restoration healing, the power of choice, breaking up with fear, owning where you are, and much, much, much more. But before we get into the interview, I wanna tell you more about Nia Rigel. Nia is a licensed mental health, faith-based therapist. She's a mental health influencer, and also the owner of Rigel Consulting. Nia has made it her business to help others heal from generational trauma via her restorative healing methods. Nia believes that when you make yourself the solution to your problem, you take back your power by taking full accountability to be the change you desire. Nia's coined saying is when you reveal, you heal. So without further ado, here is Prospering Through Pain with Nia Rigel. So Nia, welcome. We are excited to hear from you today and learn more about you and your journey. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share, especially with you and your audience. Good, good. So let's start by you telling us about your background and what you currently do professionally. Absolutely. My name is Nia Rigel, and I am a licensed clinical therapist. I work in the area of restoration healing. And a little bit about restoration healing, it's really taking your natural gifts and talents, talents that may have been distorted from outdated generational cycles, transgenerational cycles, mental blocks, mental world blocks, and really taking all those things and really fine-tuning your mental narrative and your story and restoring them back to before all those things kind of dictated how you live and navigate your life. So in addition to down that, um, my private practice size where I service people is an online 100% telehealth community. I also own a wellness brand. It's Virgil Consulting Wellness Brand. And under that tyranny, it, we have two brands called Restoring the King, which is a all black diaspora mental wellness brand for African-American men and, and men of the African diaspora. And then I have another wellness brand called Restoring the Queen, which is a wellness brand specifically for high value women. And we work on different levels of intervention to allow them to continue to break glass ceilings, to own their voice and their power, and to navigate the world of whether it be entrepreneurship or whatever professional capacity or personal capacity they want to like show up healthy and powerfully. Mm, you said a lot. You done gave me some questions <laughs> to go off of the script, right? But before I do that, tell us how you ended up in your current profession. Okay, so long story short, I come from very humble beginnings. I was introduced to the mental health system by a family member, my sister, watching my mom go through uh, navigating the wellness system and mental health system. Back then when mental health didn't exist, they really didn't know how to support people, especially people of color. And what I experienced, what I identify now is systematic PTSD or trauma from the system. I saw my family pretty much get ripped apart from, you know, being racially and institutionally and systematically discriminated against. And so at the age of seven, I had really made a vow that I was going to be the person on the other end that was mistreating my mother. 
And, you know, at seven years old, you don't know what the heck that is. But in lieu of like, it's just that search for identity and purpose, I ended up finding out that the people that were, I was introduced to in that way were psychologists and social workers. So I ended up becoming a social worker, then matriculated into becoming a licensed clinical therapist. And now I am here. Awesome. I always love when people decide to be the change that they want to see mm-hmm. in the world, right? And solve those problems. So I'm going to go back, right? So two things I wanted to ask you, and you can answer them in whichever order. Say a person is getting discriminated against in the wellness world or mental health world. Like, what does that look like? What are some things that they can keep an eye out for? And then the other question is about those generational things that you said you help people get rid of like how would a person even know yeah great question so we're going to frame this this answer around value right how you personally value yourself and how you're valued from entities and systems so essentially anytime that you feel like you're discriminated against or racially profiled or not offered quality services it's really an intuitive feeling that you feel I allow people when I'm working with them to really trust their intuition, which is key to how you value yourself. So if you're in a situation where someone's speaking down to you, making you feel very belittled for not understanding their terminology, if you're afraid to ask questions, if you're being directed versus being spoken to and appreciated, if you feel like your spiritual or religious values are not being a part of your treatment plan or your loved one's treatment plan, if your culture isn't being spoken to, but rather spoken against and seem like an inconvenience. Overall, if you feel like you're an inconvenience, if you're being an inconvenience on other people's professionalism or their ability to provide quality of care, you're not being valued in that space. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I tell my underserved and underrepresented clientele that those people actually work for you. But when you're used to always being racially profiled or traumatized by the system, you get the mixed messaging that the system works against you. It isn't for you. And so you already walk in there with that mindset that I'm going to be discriminated against and I need to figure out how I'm going to survive through this experience. So, yeah. Mm, mm. That's, yeah, that's deep. I feel like that happens all the time and not only in the healthcare field, in other fields as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So how could a person identify if they have like some generational blocks or, you know, some things that's going on with them? Okay. So that question is your why question. Like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why is this purposeful to me? If that question is codependent on any people, place, or thing, then that means that there may be some generational trauma associated with that. Because a lot of our lifetime, if we come from a a neglectful or somewhat very scarcity mind upbringing, is in survival mode. So if you're leaving for something, we call that flight mode. Flight mode means like you're trying to just work your way to get the heck up out of there so you're not going to deal with it anymore, right? That's trauma. Then we call it freeze mode. Freeze mode is when you're kind of just there, like you're living vicariously through like, just being present, but emotionally you're not connected to your life, that's freeze mode. And a lot of men do this because they disassociate themselves from the reality that they're in because the idea of settling is too much emotionally for them, but they're in survival mode. So they put themselves in predicaments and situations that isn't for them. See, women do that as well. So it's not just mutually exclusive to men, but I really see men use the form of escapism in the form of freeze mode to really even create generations in that. So if you had like a father that was present, but he really didn't have an input in your life, odds are is that he used a lot of escapism and he was in freeze mode doing your upbringing, even mothers too, for fight mode. So generationally, if you grew up in a household where your emotions were suppressed or emotional intelligence wasn't really something that was fostered in your family, so you have a really hard time like emotionally connecting, speaking to your emotions, feeling like your emotions are hindering certain people or not really understanding how to articulate yourself outside of being angry and aggressive. That can also be generational trauma. 
And a lot of kids that grow up in neglectful households were punished for showing emotions because it spoke against maybe what a caregiver was doing that was not in alignment with health and wealth, right? And so kids are inquisitive. They have questions, right? And I don't know about you, but like kids ask the craziest, straightforward questions. And sometimes parents are not ready to to answer them. So rather than like take accountability for their inability to do that, they punish the child for having a voice. So if you're like feeling like you're voiceless or anything like that, sense of powerlessness over your life, nine times out of 10, you're some form of transgenerational trauma. Mm. Girl, listen now, I ain't, look, I ain't get you on here for you to be diagnosing <laughs> me now. Look, it's not, look I, I feel like I've been through some fight. Some freeze. I'm not sure about the first one. Maybe the first the one. The flight mode. <laughs> I done been through A, B, and C, right? That's good. That's good. Yeah. I like that, right? Because I think we go through life, right? And this is the life that we've accepted, right? And if you don't get information to realize that this is not quote unquote normal, you know, or, or the way to thrive, like you said, then, you know, how can you do better? Yeah. And it really just comes from like you rewriting your your narrative around life so that it doesn't include trauma. And I know that people think that that's like everybody has trauma. They're right. I've never met a person who didn't experience a form of trauma. But there's one thing to recognize it and work away from it, right, to where it's no longer serving you in a space of like taking it away from you and blocking you from your, your the life you want to live. And it's another thing to then take responsibility and say, this is bigger than me. And I need the support. And that's when I encourage people to invest in their mental wellness, you know, whether it be a life coach or if you're under some form of trauma, like speak to a therapist. I wouldn't recommend a, a life coach for that unless they have experience with dealing with like PTSD and trauma. But we really do have the power of choice. Like we wake up every day with the power of choice to make keen decisions on how we want our life to, to be. But see, when you're when you grow up in forms of trauma, that come, becomes a part of your identity. And it's really hard to separate. It's almost like the equivalent of going through a breakup. Like, for example, like for me, self-disclosure, just like I'm breaking up with fear this mm-hmm. season. And that has been like, I am in such an MS relationship with fear. It's actually really shocking that I have to go through a breakup with it. You would think that we want like this stuff to be like just gone, like, oh yes, I can if you tell me I can get rid of fear, it's gone. No. It's it, when it's navigated a part of your life, it's hard to really, really understand where you begin and where you end. Yes. Oh, that was deep. Look, yeah. Power of choice was a word, right? Yeah. And as far as that breaking up with fear, yes, yeah, some <laughs> things are ingrained, whether it's positive or negative, right? Like once it's ingrained, I think your subconscious doesn't know if it's positive or negative. It yeah. just knows yeah. that this is our thing and we want our thing. And you want to feel safe. And sometimes fear of putting ourselves out there doesn't make us feel safe. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Look, we done got straight to it, y'all. I don't know. <laughs> Dig deep so we can keep it going now. So tell us, right, I know you touched on some of your childhood in relation to things that your mom went through, but do you want to just elaborate on the type of upbringing that you had as a child? Yeah, you know, I'm really discovering, like, like so I'm a therapist who has a therapist. I really believe in being a healthy practitioner. And so, like, I'm discovering just in my own healing journey um, and working with my therapist that I had a lot of, I had a very uh, fascinating childhood is what I call it, Right. So a lot of my professional accolades, personal accolades have been from a scarcity mindset. You know, I've I've really been charged and charging myself and putting the responsibility on myself to rewrite a lot of things that I saw growing up. So for example, I grew up one of seven. My mother was herself in such an amazing way. And let me put the caveat, my mom did her best with what she had. Okay. And I respect her for that. But I did grow up in a very verbally, mentally, emotionally, and physically abusive household. A single mother sometimes because my father was a career criminal, so he was in and out of our household. So I went back and forth between being raised by a single mother and then having a two-parent household. My parents were the first entrepreneur I was introduced to, but on the illegal side of the business. I grew up in a high crime, high poverty neighborhood where I kind of had to fend to fight my way home. For example, like I remember if I'm walking down the street one day and say someone has issues with my sisters or with my cousins and I don't know about it, 
I can essentially be, you know, at risk for being junked and not even know why I'm fighting this person. Just know that I'm fending for my life <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. So, you know, when you grow up in that survival mode background, you know, I spent a lot of my childhood in flight mode trying to get the hell out. So, like, education was a way out for me. Relationships was a way out for me. Participating in programs was a way out for me. Getting mentors a way out for me. So, like, I'm realizing just doing my own healing process that a lot of my life was never lived because I chose to live that way. It was because I was getting out of something. Mm, that's good. Well, not good, per se. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's yeah. up, right? <laughs> like, But I love, you know what I love? Like, oh, I just feel like, I love this question, right? Because I really want to show people that it doesn't matter where you came from. It does not matter where you came from. All that matters is that you have a drive and a spirit to want to be better than you were, right? Yeah. And I love that you chose, even though flight is a trauma, you know, and an escapism, right? Like you could have chose to dig into the surroundings or the reality that you was living in. And then what would your life look like then? Right. You know, and you know, I didn't dab in the dark side, what I call it, of my way of being, but it just wasn't a natural state for me. You know, I grew up like in a very abusive household, but I don't think I was ever a child. And I don't think any child deserves to be abused, but you got, you do have some kids that will test you to the point where you, sometimes you just <laughs> got to tap them. And like I said, I'm not condoning abuse, but in our culture, we do use physical punishment as a form to punish our children. I was never one of those kids though. I was more like a process kid, like teach me. I only need to get hand on hand once. But I think that because my mom was so frustrated with life, she was frustrated with being a single mother. She was frustrated with just having to deal with an incarcerated spouse. Like there were so many things emotionally, psychologically, geographically, you know, economically that she was struggling with. And then there was her kids on top of that. And I was at the brunt of that experience, which I think a lot of parents, I mean, I even as a single parent go through that you know, with not wanting to be short-tempered and give my kids what's left over be with me from, from the end of the day. So in that space, in the self-forgiveness space, like if someone is going through, like where they're working through their issues and they're having to forgive their parents for less than desirable ways that they were treated, that's the only thing that I gravitate towards. It's like, I really don't think that my mom is a bad person. I just think that she didn't have the support that she needed. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And it is. It, it's about compassion, right? Because we do the best with what we have, right? And and a lot of the things that we are embracing now, our parents or grandparents didn't have the, you know, capacity or understanding to embrace, right? So that's a great point. So tell us about a pivotal point in your life and how it shaped who you are today. In addition to that experience that I had when I was seven, when I had really like made a commitment to myself that I was going to make sure that I, no one ever received that form of treatment, I think it was also when I had lost my first child. I was 18. I had no business being pregnant. But, you know, as I'm working through that, that was also a survival mode technique because I was ending a series in my life and me getting a new one. And I think that as a form of like, just freaking out, like I just got pregnant. Cause like teenage pregnancy in my family was like, it's a generational out, right? So like, if I can't deal with myself then I can raise some kids, you know, I was taught to raise some kids. I know how to do that. So I think that her death has signified like a new beginning in me. And I had really just vowed that I just didn't want to be that type of parent you know, that was always struggling. And ultimately, like, because I was in a cycle, I ended up getting pregnant six months later because I didn't go to therapy. I didn't go to, no one could speak to what I was experiencing. And so the only thing I knew was to replace with what I had lost, right? And all these things I'm doing, I'm not like meticulously going through the, my life and being like, you know what, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that. We don't do that. And I think that's one of the things in the mental health space that needs to be like destigmatized is that I was such in a, a subconscious program state that my natural way of being wanted to replace what I had lost. And the only thing that I can do 
to grieve was to go after what was taken from me that caused the pain in the first place, right? So I went on like a emotional like roller coaster for about six months and ended up getting pregnant with my daughter in college where I was trying to find myself. You know, she's 16 today. Thank God she's healthy, whole and complete, you know, but she still also has like the residual effects from being birthed in that state of being. But I think that for me, there's so many different marks of rite of passage for me that were done in pain that I had to really like take a step back, like, and think about like what pain created in my life and what manifested from that so that I didn't keep like punishing myself for those mistakes. Right. So I think that that was like a pivotal place for me around like forgiveness was like, I only knew what I had to choose those choices that I made that I didn't lose anything. I just got redirected, but I was always on the same path. Right. And that's the thing about life. You don't know where, how, where you're going. You have an understanding of that as you continue to do the self exploration and the self work, but like, you're already going where you're getting. Like that's already like predestined and predetermined. And so that was just one of those things that, you know, I really had to like go back to my younger self and be like, you, you did the best that you could do. Like you literally did the best that you could do. And like, I think from like just processing that, like just from that space of like, I had to show myself compassion was really hard because I've been really like working. Like I said, I've been spending most of my life in survival mode, like trying to get back things that were taken away from me. And so that was another thing where I had to be like, you're a good mom. You know, like you're actually a good mom. Like you don't think about, you know, the things that you're losing along the journey and that's going to teach you those pivotal messages. But like, I'm like really confident I can be a good mom. Yeah. So listening to you, I can totally relate, right? I had my daughter at 17 and I never thought about that, right? Like, cause I, I'm just learning how to deal with my emotions and my feelings, mm-hmm. right? So was that my out, right? It's so interesting <laughs> that I, I always say my daughter saved my life. I didn't have any purpose, any direction, like super smart, top of the class, no direction, no, you know, just kind of like, you know, going along. And she gave me a reason to do something. Right. So that's interesting that you say that. Yeah. And you know what? My daughter, I say the same thing about her because if I had not had her, I don't know where I would be at, to be honest, because I was in such a dark place and doing very risque things that the best thing that could have happened to me was that I was pregnant. (laughs) To be honest with you. Because I was just purely operating off of pain. And when you're operating off of pain, Pain will make you get into some situations that when you're healthy, you'll be like, how and why was I there and how did I get here? Yeah. It's a whole nother level. So I'm just learning, you know, just how much pain could blind you from like really being a healthy person. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Deep. Deep, y'all. We going deep. We going deep. All right. So, so tell us about, tell us what you would consider to be a strength of yours and a weakness. And then tell us what you do to get around your weakness. I am such a people pleaser. Mm. I'm such a people pleaser. And I think it was ingrained in me to care for others before myself culturally. And I think also too, like I'm such a gentle, kind spirit that I don't like seeing other people in pain because I felt pain before. And so I'm like, this is terrible. Like, I don't want to feel this anymore. And so I think that sometimes when I'm in my practice, a transfers of energy to where my clients can become a little bit codependent because I'm such a nurturer on me. And so sometimes I have to like, kind of take a step back when that's happening and like reset myself and reset our connection because you know I don't want people to be codependent on me I want to inspire them to be independent so that they can find someone to be interdependent with right that's longevity so that's one of the things where my natural gifts and talents can work for me but they also can work against me in my personal life how that works against me is like people please with everybody with my kids if I'm in a relationship with like setting boundaries for people. And so I overcommit and I don't 
serve myself energetic wise. So uh, what I'm doing with that is I'm holding myself accountable to where like I'm allowing myself to do things for others, but not at my expense, mm. which is different for me because everything's been at my expense, right? I told you I've been in fight more like predominantly my whole life. I'm just probably just got out of me during this pandemic. <laughs> when you got to sit with yourself, you got to sit with yourself. And so, yeah, I'm just, that's a new way of being for me. It's like not at my expense. So what does that, tell us more about what that means. Not at my expense. I say no more often, right? I don't jam pack my schedule. If I can't do it and I feel guilty, I question myself like why, right? I also had to reevaluate my value and how much of that was codependent on what I do for others and how I can serve others versus switching that narrative to where I am enough and just me showing up in support in lieu of how I can do that has to be enough. Yes, 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 and yes. You talking <laughs> to me again, again, look, if she ain't talking to y'all, she talking to me. Listen, I'm gonna be honest today. Look, we gotta be honest. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So, you know what, you said something that I know I have been, sometimes still am, right, but no longer want to be guilty of, which is this jam-packed schedule. I feel like it's a trauma response, right? Like, okay, you said you are enough, right? So I feel like it's like a compensation thing that I may be trying to do to prove something to myself you know, to the outside world. I don't know. Like, I'm still trying to figure that out. But then learning that balance, you know, like the word balance. And, you know, if I'm stretched too thin, how can I really be okay, right? So that was good. And that could be also, too, a, a form of, like, transgenerational trauma where, as Black women, we were birthed for the sole purpose of procreation and nurturing others, like, historically our gifts and talents have always been extorted from us in a form of we get our validity and our validation through what we can do like you know if we're taking it back to slave time like in order to be a, a non-fair skinned person in the quote-unquote master's house you have to have be very talented like you know be very very talented and on the adjacent side of that if you were a fair-skinned black woman then you also have to prove your blackness to everybody else that discriminated against you for being, you know, a, a woman of fair skin color. So we also walk around with that scarlet letter that we don't really talk about too much in our community. In addition to, you know, transgenerational trauma passed down from just having to be extorted for our gifts and talents. And we still are extorted from that. And I just went through that prior to co leaving my job at COVID. I literally had to tell my boss, listen, if the end of the world is happening right now, I can't be a sellout. I'm going to help Black people because there's only 4% Black therapists. And we are right now at this time, and this is around the time that George Floyd had passed away and were murdered. I mean, not even candy coated. What's in that protective language? That I knew my community needed me. And we just didn't service Black people. Mm. We just didn't. And so, I mean, again, here is my gifts and talents to be an exhorted for a population that I don't even culturally relate to. And that is to say, like, I'm not against supporting other people of different colors and different nationalities. But who am I if I can't serve the people who look like me, who feel like me, who go through the same things as me? That is my area of expertise because I am a person of color. I am a Black woman. I self-identify as a Black woman. And so I think for the people who have a difficult time with understanding that, they really need to be practice more empathy and, and, and compassion for others and put yourself in a situation of a person who doesn't serve their own community but fights for the rights and the service of others that's again perpetuating that generational cycle of being extorted mm. they ain't ready they ain't ready <laughs> <laughs> So I know you talked about you being a therapist that seeks therapy. Are there other practices that you use to ensure that you're showing up at your best personally and professionally? Yeah. So there's four key areas to live in a whole holistic, well-balanced life that I support my clients with and I live by too. So there's spirituality, 
There's mental health and physical health in one space, right? What's one paradigm? Then there's financial freedom and then intimacy. Okay. And so those are the four key areas that I navigate my life through. And I encourage my clients to have a holistic, overall balanced life. Now, you're never going to be 100% in all those spaces. That doesn't exist. But it's more of a continuum of everything. So in the Christian faith, we call it season, right? What season are you in? Are you in a season where you need to focus on your financial abundance and get a little bit more organized in that area so that abundance can come? Or do you need to connect to yourself more spiritually to where you can have a sense of self and ownership so you can take that leadership position where you want in your life? Or do you need to practice on your physical and mental health to get the right mindset so that you can have a longevity life so you can make good business decisions, good decisions for your family, you know, really navigate them? Or is it intimacy? You know, do you need partnership? Do you need community? You know, do you need healthy relationships? Do your health, your, your, do your relationships that you have, are they conducive to the lifestyle that you are now living? Not from the past, not when you were 16, not when you were 20 and in college, but right now as a, as an entity, as a person, as a, a person walking in whatever space that you're in. So I really tailor my lifestyle and whatever needs to be fixed in that space. So right now, like offline, we talked about intimacy. I'm in that space where I'm getting back my personal life and I'm really focusing on self this season in a form of like also embodying physical and mental health. So prior to COVID, I was a really exercise enthusiast. I think on the last interview you, we did, I said, now I just roll out of bed. But at first I used to get up at 5 a.m. in the morning, have my coffee, have my shake, get ready to go, like rah, 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 like very structured. And when COVID happened, it just completely messed my life up. I wanted to drop the F-bomb because that's how much (laughs) (laughs) it did. I'm sure others can relate. (laughs) So in this season, I just had to drop the routines and focus on why did I have the routine in the first place? Mm. Why was I so strict on myself in the first place? And that was very spirit-led, Okay. So from an organized person to now a self-proclaimed, free-spirited, sort of kind of hot mess, I'm just exploring this space of the unknown and it's really uncomfortable. So I fired my therapist and I got a life coach. I got a Tantra life coach guru. And then I have a yoga mental wellness facilitator who helps me with getting acclimated back into my body emotionally so that's what i'm doing (laughs) yes you know i feel like life is not a one-size-fits-all thing right Mm -hmm. you know and to figure out what works for us we have to try different things right so i love that you know you are trying new things, trying to figure your life out. And I feel like at every level of life, we have to figure things out. I just have to trust myself. I never learned how to trust myself. I never learned how to self-express. I knew what I wanted. I I knew how to performatively pass, right? Because we know how to do that. We know how to show up healthy. But like to be healthy, to be sound in mind, to be confident, to feel valued, I feel like we can't go at it alone. We all need help. But ultimately, right, what feels good with you should be your guiding light. Everything we need and we desire is inside of ourselves. We just need, like for me, I'm just a purpose who is placing people live to awaken things that they already have inside of them and to get them in on the right path or to show them that they're already in on the right path. They're just looking in the wrong directions and asking for the wrong things. Cause we would literally ask for things physically that emotionally is not resonating with us just mm-hmm. because we're coming from trauma, because we're coming from habitual habits, because our friends are doing it. And really that's not really what we want. You know, and that's where for me, I had to like really own the fact that like of my uniqueness, right? But before I could own my new uniqueness, I had to feel like I was a person of value to even say that I was unique. So a lot of people, we're, we don't even know what comes with first, the chicken or the egg. And we're sitting here raising families, getting married, 
you know, focusing on generational wealth, it's like, well, what are we creating wealth for? So we can still continue to be unhappy? That's deep. You know, going after things that aren't necessarily what we want, right? I can relate to that having, so I just celebrated a year in recovery, right? I had to let go of, you know, drinking and drugs and just all things that weren't me, but they helped to put a band-aid on all of the pain and the trauma and me wanting to run from my feelings, right? So to me, that's a prime example of taking in something that... I wanted it at the time. Like I thought it was a solution at the time, you know, but now in a better light and in a better mindset, realizing like that wasn't me, that wasn't doing anything for me, but yet in the moment I thought it was. Yeah. Cause you're working towards alleviating something versus living with the actuality that you feel pain. And that's what I, I told you. I don't like feeling pain either. I don't. This one thing I can take away from my experience is it is it's the pain that I've gone through because it's deep. And when you don't have a label or understanding or a community that supports you in your growth and you're just feeling judged and ridiculed and you want to just show up, you do things in pain that you wouldn't have never thought you would do when you're healthy. And that's where like the self-compassion piece has to come in at is because when you're in pain, All you can focus on is the pain. You can't focus on anything outside of the pain because the pain is so deep. And that's where I feel like a lot of people don't get, especially when we're tailoring it to the Black experience, why we hurt so bad. Like, I think that people don't get how systematically we are damaged and we're, like, just trying to function in pain that's not fair for us to be judged, for us to be policed, for our children to be taken away from us, from us to have to be successful, knowing that we carry the burden of pain. Yeah. Like we literally carry that torch every day. Mm, mm. That even to me makes sense as to why a lot of people are in survival mode as opposed to thrive mode, right? Because you mm-hmm. have to have your bare necessities met before you can even want to be and do better, right? And a lot of people are down at that bottom level. Yeah, and it goes back to like, you know, like like I said, we'll ask for things because we think that we're getting, we want these things in, in the physical, but really the, in the emotional, we just, a lot of us just don't want to be sad, angry, bad, depressed. You know, all those things come from pain. Like when we like strip back the layers, what hurt you? Who hurt you? You know, are the real questions that if we were really inside of our bodies and really taking that introspective look at self, we would be able to ask our, ourselves the simple questions that lead to the to the big, you know, the scientific world quantum leaps that people talk about. You know, that, that leads to the big power plays, the big decision making that we make in our lives instead of trying to manifest and create in pain and chaos, which we do. And look at us. You know, look at what we're also able to create, knowing that that just shows just how dynamic the human species is, is that even in this pain, we still can manifest and create. And so that's where I'm at. I think, and I can't say this without 100%, you know, evidence, but intuitively, I think I am the first woman in my lineage since we were taken away for what our birthright was to manifest not living in pain. Hmm. I know that's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Ain't that something? Yes. Yes. I feel you because I prayed to break generational cycles. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how hard that was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> the man told me pray for, right? <laughs> I feel like, you know, we've opened up all kind of conversation about stuff that's really important as far as mental health, as far as our current state, you know, and why we behave the way we behave at times. But I just want to kind of tie it all together. Like of all the things that we've been talking about, how can this knowledge help an entrepreneur? Yeah, I had to like do a deep sigh because I've been in entrepreneur landscape for about a year and I've been dragged 
the whole way. <laughs> and the only reason why my experience has been so, I would say, like, so uh, growing is because, like, I've associated growth with pain, right? Because every time, I told you, every single time I've done it, evolved and something happened, it's been after a life tragedy. Like, right? So for the entrepreneurs that are coming into the entrepreneurial landscape, I really want you to question what you're bringing with you emotionally, okay? Forget the physical stuff. You know, you got a down payment. You know, you got enough, uh, You left your job in six months because you created your emergency fund. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But what is your capacity to take care of yourself? What is your capacity to really own your value in your space? What is your capacity to really practice self-love and, and really show up a vessel and just a servant? You know, and a lot of people, we get into the entrepreneurial game and I say we in that scarcity mindset and we forget about who we're here to service and we price our products and our services based off what we didn't have versus what we're creating for the future. Right. And that's something that I'm still resonating with because I'm listening in black coat on bougie, you know, and I had to be like, well, why do I? Why am I so bougie? This is something I had to take to my higher power. And it's because I deserve it. You know, I deserve a vacation that's in luxury. I deserve a nice hot house and a nice car. I deserve all of those things. But when you come from lack, you feel like you're asking for too much by the bare minimum of just wanting to be valued in those superficial ways. But for us, it don't work like that. When you come from a disadvantaged background, you've had to work for everything you've had. But, you know, I was just taking back, you know, that birthright of, of really disassociating myself with the capitalistic mindset around, you know, value and, and what luxury meant to me. And that's the place that I'm walking into. And so for entrepreneurs who are questioning their pricing, you know, when they're coming in or, you know, they're really having trouble with their messaging or they're having trouble with finding the right coach or the right platform to really sell their products and services out there is to just work on how you manage yourself through all of that. You know, there's not a one quick fix. And I know that we want to take this elevator to success, but especially if you're a person of color, we know that there are institutions set up to where our journey ain't going to be easy, you know, and it's not designed or set up for us to succeed. It's more a design for the, for other people to benefit from, you know, our, our intellectual property. I've learned that not everybody has good merit, you know, so the, just the, because you treat others one way that doesn't mean that they're going to have the same reciprocity for you. Mm -hmm. But I do believe in karma. And I do believe that sometimes you're putting a person's life to show them the other side of their a way of being because they probably never had that experience before, you know, so it just, it comes along with being a special person that chooses to pretty much do this entrepreneurial walk because it's not easy. And we literally make a choice every day to sign up, not knowing what the day is going to bring us, but knowing that we're going to get through it. So I just really encourage any entrepreneur that's in that space is to not focus on what's happening, but really focus on how you're going to get through it and be successful in any place that you're at in your life, whether it's from the bottom, the middle or the top. Like really celebrate yourself. Like small wins are so important. Celebration is so important. Not negative self-talk, you know, isn't your best friend in this situation. The pulling yourself up by your own bootstrap notion is bullshit. You know, get around people who are supportive, loving, kind, genuine. You'll know that by trusting your intuition more. If a person don't sit well with your spirit, mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, you need to trust your instinct. And if you keep coming up against those people where you question their their validity in your life, then you need to go work on yourself because you should not be putting yourself in circumstances and situations that continue to trigger you. Mm. That's not healthy. Mm. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you talked about something that's near and dear to my heart, which uh, leads me to a plug, right? So before I get to the plug. But celebrating your wins. I think that that is so super important. It's actually something that I had to take the time to do at the end of 2020, right? Because 
I feel like on the outside, a lot of people are like, oh, you're doing this, oh, you're doing that. But sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough and I forget what the heck I've been doing, right? So I had to take the time to create like a brag board for myself. I had to celebrate my wins, right? To give myself the validation that I needed, right? Because a million people can tell me how great I'm doing, but if I don't feel it in my spirit, you know, then it's not resonating. It's like, oh, thanks, but I got to feel it. Right. So I, I agree with you that that's super important and that we have to take the time to do that. And I know that that comes from me being like just super hard on myself. I have what they call unrelenting standards. Right. So a lot of things are never good enough. And what I've done to mitigate that and to help other people with that is create a so I hold a monthly room on Clubhouse called Celebrating Wins. January happened, you know, February edition is coming up on the 28th, everyone at, I think it's at 3 p.m. Eastern. Check the show notes, but um, I'll drop it since we talked about it. Yeah, and even leading towards doing an event at the end of this year for people that want to come and actually create that whole thing from the whole year, right? But the importance of tracking those wins every month and acknowledging them and celebrating them because I think it's a confidence booster right and and it helps you to track your progress too yeah in addition to that what you're doing without knowing that you're providing people are rituals we don't really realize how like spirited we are when we do hold spaces for people to celebrate themselves celebration is a ritual you know and our daily habits and routine are rituals newsflash you know but it's really just getting back to the why you know we're all, you know, creative beings. We're all ritualistic people. And I just think that we've gotten away from that, but we do it in anyway, right? So it's not even just a celebration that you're providing for people. You're providing a ritual for them to reclaim themselves in spaces where they lost their voice, their power, you know? And so in your way of being a perfectionist and thinking that you're doing all this stuff and you got to be on top of it, just know that you're also too such an important vessel for people to also celebrate themselves because you can't give what you don't have. So that just is a testament to your power in your space by even going on Clubhouse, which is another professional outlet, hello, and using it in forms of celebration. So, I mean, kudos to you for being such an amazing person. Well, that look, that one look, I paid her, y'all. I paid her to say that. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Thank you. I just, like, I didn't even think of it like that, right? You know what? So that brings me back to another point, right? The importance of having people around you that help you see things that you just overlook and that aren't afraid to build another person up, right? Because I feel like a lot of people don't want to build other people up because they are so torn down on the inside and on the outside, they might not look like it or act like it, right? Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you for that. And I think that that's a great example too, and a point, right? That I know I use because I am so hard on myself, right? So I need people that are going to see things in a different light and people like, oh yeah, <laughs> take it. I receive, right? right. It's important for entrepreneurship as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to just, to be a healthy person so much to where you don't have to hate on people when they are being a light. Cause we have so many, so much darkness. Like the last thing you need to be is a part of that message. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So tell us about the last book that you read or listened to. Yeah. Okay. So I really have been like into like different forms of spirituality as it pertains to African, the African experience, you know, the African-American experience. So one of the books that I read, it's called The Spirit of Intimacy. And this book is really helping me get back to like community and why I am a a servant and a servant leader now too. It's also helping me get back to like 
you know, I'm working in the space of forgiveness and for those who have harmed me, who are my close intimate relationships, you know, from birth to, you know, forever. And so it's really helping me with understanding why they matter and why I have to forgive. It goes into like, just like I said, our rituals that we got away from how community used to be more of a supportive measure for connection and now is used as like, you don't even know your neighbor, right? And that neighbor could be a cousin or a distant cousin, but because they had an issue with your cousin or your mom five years ago to keep in alignment with dysfunction, we choose sides, but sometimes we choose the wrong sides for the wrong reasons, right? So it just really helped me get back to like, well, why don't I talk to my aunt? Why don't I talk to my uncle? Like, why are these issues mine? You know, is it a really a community-based process? You know, why do I value my friends? And why do I choose my friends the way that I choose them? And why do I value relationships in this way? And like, is my really, my level of connection with a man, is it superficial versus uh, I'm building with this person, I'm inviting them into my intimate space. So um, The Spirit of Intimacy is a book, I feel like for those of you who are at a space where you're like wanting to evolve and get creative around like how you live your life. It's a really short read it's very to the point it's centered around african the african experience so even people who are in biracial relationships or you have biracial children who are looking to get that understanding of like or even if you just want to be an ally you know you want to kind of get a feel for like how black people value community it's a really great book it was a refresher for me because you know that way of being wasn't taught to me because we're so so far removed from being displaced that these are just not you know customs and beliefs that I know on the physical but it spoke to my soul when I was reading it so that's why I'm like plug that book is amazing so go in the show notes underneath episode if you want to purchase that book because it does sound amazing it is all right so you talked about rituals and how rituals are our thing, so to say, right? So to me, I never looked at it like this until you actually said it, but personal affirmations or reciting Mm -hmm. those are rituals. Do you practice personal affirmations? I do, because the power of the tongue is once you speak it, you know, the world was spoken from the power of the tongue. It was created, right? So tell us one of your favorite affirmations. Yeah, so one of my favorite affirmations that I'm working on, since I can't go to the gym, is I love and accept my body in its natural state. Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Before I get into my fun questions, do you have a favorite quote that you want to share with us? History is going to be kind to us because I'm going to rewrite it. And it's by Winston Churchill. Mm. Yes. I like that. That makes sense, right? And it's fitting for everything that you've talked about. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'm learning to pay attention to now that I'm not operating from that that fear-based thinking and that and paying me in my reality is that like I am changing and I am evolving. And like I don't know how to be who I am right now because I've never been here before and there's never been other women in my family that can speak to me from this space because they've never been healed to be here before I'm really at that point in my life where I'm like wow I did it I just love that I can look at a quote and it can resonate with me like that yeah I'm just happy and grateful (laughs) good good that I mean rewriting history is something to be grateful for yeah right Hello, you know? Yeah, and I feel like it's always a celebration, you know, right? It's always something to celebrate, especially when we are continuing to move forward, even if that's by a baby step, even if that's by 1.001% today, right? right? That's better than yesterday, right? And that deserves a celebration because that's how we're going to get to the next 0.001 and the next one and the next one, right? So... I love that. So tell us where you went for your last vacation. Tell us about your favorite vacation spot and tell us about a place you want to go in the future. Yeah. So the last place I went to was Tulum. 
I really love that place because Tulum is a super spiritual place. And I know that, you know, if you're a social media person and you know, like a lot of celebrities and stuff are going to Tulum, but I'm not like, I'm, I have a social media present, but I don't like to get influenced by social media. So I, I don't really look at a lot of people's lifestyles and what they do. So actually a spiritual friend had recommended that place for me. And for those of you who haven't been to Tulum and are looking for a very like spiritual supported place to also to really work focus on your wellness and rejuvenate Tulum is a really great place to go to because like this the spirit is there the spirit of celebration the spirit of relaxation the spirit of healing of restoration is, is in Tulum so I got to experience that and so that was a great uh, awesome amazing trip I think so I'm a, a person I really love adventure or this light kick of like rejuvenation and I think that I found that that healthy mix and duality when I went to Thailand. So I like to have adventure. So I like to have adventure uh, in a form of like adventure with a little bit of rejuvenation. So I found that when I went to Thailand, I was able to live on a minimum budget uh, in American dollars, but it was an extravagant lifestyle in Thailand. Mm. So like, yeah, that was my like my first time like really resonating with the fact that like, I could do this on a regular. Like I could like actually like I think I like this lifestyle. And so the, yeah, that was that was my favorite place to go. Where I would like to go now is I really want to go to like Africa. I really want to go to a place where I can really get an understanding of like myself. I'm a natural holistic healer. And I come from a lineage of women who are healers, but I intuitively feel that that was a birthright that was taken away from us, that I'm naturally just getting into it. And that I had to like, in order to assimilate into American culture, I had to label myself as a therapist. But Mm -hmm. if I'm really being transparent and honest with myself, like I am a natural homeopathic killer, you know, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't come with a degree. I get it. Right. It should be a degree for healing. <laughs> it should be. That's what I'm getting back to. Is like, it, and that's where I found my value in my voice and all you guys. I love it. And you actually led right into turning it over to you to let the listeners know where they can find you, how they can work with you, what you have going on by way of events. Yes. So I'm excited. Like, So for my brand, we're creating so many different revenues and outlets for people to support themselves on the wellness space. I have my sister circle coming up March 18th. Like I said, I cater towards high value women, women who are are leaders in um, their own right. You know, women who are looking to break generational cycles and glass ceilings. Those of you who are spearheading your community and your families to create new ways of being. It's a four-week healing circle that I offer. This this circle, we're going to talk about value. The next circle, we're going to talk about self-actualizing into your best higher self. And it's really just a journey that I'm taking women on who want to participate in each four weeks. It comes with a workbook and worksheets and things of that nature. So that's what I'm doing for my ladies and my queens. Um, What I'm doing for my kings, for my gentlemen, is I have my Restorative Kings six-week program that I take. Black men specifically on a self-healing journey through self-exploration. It's me, myself, and I have a life coach and a yoga instructor that I'm partnering with to really focus on the mind, body, and spirit. As far as for uh, what I'm doing in my private practice, I am supporting clients. I have right now, I have two slots available for my private practice, and I hope that they're still nearby before this airs. But that's where it's standing right now. But I'm always adding people to my wait list if people are, are looking for a holistic killer, especially in the Black mental wellness space. I definitely am an advocate for that. So I, I offer those different levels of support, you know, for just different people. In April, I'll be launching my membership, which is for people who really already have, maybe you already have a, a wellness coach or like you already started your journey or you already have a therapist you're working with or, you know, you're just at a level where you're just more so on the maintenance side of like supporting yourself and you want like a check-in, maybe some information, you have that growth mindset, you want to get some some trainings. We'll be offering my membership and that's really for people who just want to gain community. So that's another big piece of healing is really being around healthy whole people and expanding with those people that. So if you're looking for community, if you're looking for information, if you're looking for knowledge, if you're looking for connection, if you're looking for a holistic way to just, you know, start to really embody your spirit, that's a great segue too. And it's super affordable too. 
Yeah, so where can they find out more? Yeah, so all of these products and services are going to be on my website, rigidconsulting.com. For those of you who want to look into that, I'm on every social media outlet. So I'm on Facebook, Rigid Consulting. I'm on Instagram, Rigid Consulting. I'm on Twitter, Rigid Consulting. I'm on LinkedIn, which is really where a lot of my following goes from and where a lot of my writing and publications come from. So yeah, so I'm in all those spaces. And also like when you go to my my professional page, uh, my private page is, is on there too, because I'm a type of healer where I want you to know who I am before you sign up for what I believe in. And I think so many people the blind leave the blind, but I'm really transparent about, you know, who I am as a person, because like, I don't want to ever show up as an expert in the situation because then that means I'm done growing. Right. I just want to be good at what I'm good at <laughs> naturally and then make mistakes along the way because that's where my wisdom and really where my value comes. So like what you see is what you get with me pretty much. So amazing. I really appreciate Thank you. you. You're welcome. Your transparency, like really breaking down what things look like for us. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think that the the best thing about like my journey is that I, I finally became a part of it. It's really nice. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of When Hers United. I hope you found this episode useful and can take away at least one thing to make your life better. If you're on Clubhouse, don't forget to follow us at When Hers United so that you can come on stage and join in the conversation. As always, be empowered and empower on.